Good afternoon. You're listening to The Emily Rooney Show. Well, the silly season has begun in earnest following last weekend's blowout win for Elizabeth Warren at the state Democratic convention. It is now officially Scott Brown versus Elizabeth Warren. Everyone is jockeying for position, except, surprisingly, triple crown hopeful. I'll have another, which was just scratched from the Belmont Stakes. And then, by the way, we're all in on the uh, scrambling act, too. We're trying to ex- score exclusive interviews or debates with the two candidates. Meanwhile, they're, all, of course, off trying to seek friendly turf. It's all good. It all gives us something to look forward to, of course, after the Celtics win this coming Saturday, right? Talk about hopeful. All right. I'm joined here in the studio by former Boston City Councilor Tom Keene, Charlie Chippio of Chippio Strategies, and social critic and attorney Wendy Kaminer. I can't believe this about – I mean, people are probably planning their whole weekend around this horse race, No. The horse, the horse race, race is over. and then the yeah. basketball game. And when I heard it on the way over here, the talk show host was like apoplectic because he had tickets. He was all set to go, and now that that's not a, that's not good for for the ratings either. They should wait until the last minute and just spring it on people. I know. Just say, oh, sorry, but <laughs> that's horse racing. It's a speculative business. <laughs> well, yeah. there, that's true. There, there also had been some stories out there about the trainer having some issues. Um, in terms of illegally prepping some of the horses. And oh. I, I wonder if it's connected to that. It's the horses are on steroids too? Uh, yeah, definitely. Or, or some some oh, weird God. carbon dioxide mix apparently. Really? Injected. Yeah. I have, they said the horse had an injured left leg. I don't know. I just see all the pandering they were doing to that thing earlier in the race. Anyway, <clears> the horse wants to spend more time with his family. <laughs> <laughs> Seeking other, other challenges, other opportunities. All right. So um, convention was a big blowout, which was a bit of a surprise because I think you know a couple of us speculated last week that – no one had ever gotten more than 86% at a convention, so everybody thought Marisa DeFranco was going to get her 15% in order to get on the ballot to challenge Elizabeth Warren. That didn't happen. So, I mean, the the, the general election cycle really began in earnest this week. So this all this talking about um, debates, my bosses always get nervous when I start talking about this because, of course, we're in on it. You know, we're, like, <laughs> trying to get them as well. But Scott Brown has the upper hand in this, I think, a little bit. I mean, he's putting it out there that, you know, he's proposing these radio debates and I don't think he's agreed. He agreed to one television debate with John Keller. I think they've um, agreed to two two, television debates. Two debates Not Not both of them. I thought he had agreed to two and she wants three. she's proposing a third. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he's agreed That was the Globe report today. Okay, well, I don't think he's agreed to the consortium one yet. That's why I said I don't want to say it. I don't know what I'm talking about. I know (laughs) know that she has agreed to one of ours. Anyway, um, she hasn't agreed to this Dan Ray won. And I want to play a little bit of sound from the last time Scott Brown was on Dan Ray. By the way, I love Dan Ray. Dan, if you're listening, I love you. So you, know, <laughs> you can do whatever you want. But this may be one of the reasons why Elizabeth Warren isn't jumping to be on your radio show with Scott Brown. We've got a, uh, a visitor who's just dropped in here, Jane. Um, okay. Have you ever um, talked with uh, U.S. Senator Scott Brown? I have not. Scott Brown, welcome. How are you? Great, Dan. Good to, good to be on. I want you to say hello to Gene in the car. Hey, Gene in the car. How are you? What's up, man? Now, I, I, hope, I hope you voted for him two years ago, and I hope you're, uh, you're looking to vote for him again. Uh, absolutely. So, I mean, okay, so Dan, Dan obviously Ray is right in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> Dan doesn't really hide where he stands on this one. Not, not, that, not that everybody does that well, but, I, you know, I think Jim... Rowdy and Marjorie Egan are, you know, more neutral territory. John, John Keller is great. He's, he's more neutral. Tra- the Emily Rooney Show, we're, we're neutral territory, right? Trying to make the push for it here. <laughs> why, why, why do you care? Is it prestige? It's yes! certainly not ratings, is it? No, actually, the, the debates do well. They have done well huh. in recent years. As we saw last fall, the, uh, the Republican presidential primary uh, debates did really, really well. I'm a political junkie. I watched exactly one of them. But One of which, but, but I'm going to the Republican primary. Uh, yeah, but I think that the Brown Warren debates are not going to be the kind of circuses that yeah, the Republican no, I primary agree with that. debates I think are, you're right. and and I suspect that um, a lot of voters are going to watch. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I would think uh, possibly. It, really, what matters is are the undecided voters going to watch, and will it have mm-hmm. an effect on their votes? Yeah. Yeah. Because they're all fighting over a really small segment they of are. the electorate, as usual. Well, we, we've talked about this before, but with Massachusetts being such an overwhelmingly democratic state, and most of the independents generally have gone democratic. The question is, will people split the ticket, and will they take into consideration? I mean, the debates are really telling, not just in terms of you know where you stand ideologically, but how you present yourself. And I mean, Scott Brown did really, really well in, in the last 
debates. Well, I, I, I mean, he, I, I he think, won on the debates, right. and he's kind of running away from it right now. I think he's maybe a little concerned about it, but he had that great line, you know, with all due respect, it's the people's seat, not, 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 not Ted Kennedy's not seat. Not Ted Kennedy's seat. I, I think, though, that you hit exactly what these debates are going to be about. People agree, uh, for the vast majority of people in Massachusetts, from a policy point of view, are going to agree with Elizabeth Warren. And so Brown's challenge is not going to be to persuade them on policy, but rather to persuade them that he's a nicer guy, someone they can identify with that really gets their concerns, even if he may not represent them in terms of their policy. You know, I I disagree with you a little bit, Tom, because I... I I agree with Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I think that Scott Brown has been very successful in obscuring precisely what his policies are. So that it's it's not easy for voters to know whether or not they agree with his policies. He presents very successfully presents an image that's not necessarily um, consistent with his voting record. That's what the Globe story about his efforts to um, gut Dodd Frank after he voted for it was all about. Well, I disagree with you though for a different reason. I do agree. I think that Dodd Frank story is a bad one for Scott Brown. I think you're right about that. But other than that, I I, I mean, I think Scott Brown said he would come in, he would be a moderate, he would vote with the Republicans sometimes, he wouldn't other times. I think that's exactly where we, where he's been. I think we do know where, where Scott Brown stands. I think Scott Brown stands pretty much in the center. I think as liberal as Massachusetts is, I don't think they're as liberal as Elizabeth Warren. I think she's close to a fringe candidate. You think so, really? Oh, I don't, and, and I you don't think, think so. think And you think in these debates are going to hurt her then? Yes, I do. I, 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 you think I she's think close to a fringe candidate? Well, not close to I, let, let me take that back. She is, further, she is further to the left. Grace Ross. She is further to the left than the Massachusetts electorate. I'm not sure about well, that. Oh, I think she is. I'm, I'm not sure about that. What it, first of all, it's... Got to go um, outside 128 sometimes. No. <laughs> one of Elizabeth... It's, it's either a strength or a weakness. I'm not sure. But Elizabeth Warren tends to talk almost exclusively about the economy. And, uh, you know, there are times when she's asked about whether she's asked about foreign policy or other issues. And she it, it's interesting because she'll often bring it back to the economy. Now, that's the issue. Middle that we class know is being paramount hammered. On. That's all she says. That's all she says. You that's ask her about says. the weather right. and she tells she you says, the middle class is being hammered. hammered. It's hammered. annoying. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, maybe that's a strength if that's what people are concerned about. But it can also be a little bit of a weakness if if people hear her not talking about other things. I think Scott Brown is also vulnerable because her – she has much deeper knowledge about these economic issues than he does. I really do believe that. And I think the danger for him is that in a debate that starts to focus on substance, he's going to look like a little bit of a lightweight next to her. People well, tune when, out when you start getting into substance. Wait, when, you, when, you, when you see that debate that starts to focus on substance. Well, yeah, I know. Exactly. I know. <laughs> exactly. I, know. I, I understand. No. But do, Emily's going to have a debate that focuses on substance. Well, that's different. Substance. That's right. I won't know what I'm talking about. That's <laughs> do, do you think the, uh, the issues like Native American heritage survive oh or is that done? That really, you know, finally after five and a half weeks, Wendy, that thing kind of It kind of has disappeared, week. right? Well, I don't think it's disappeared. I think it uh, – I think there's a – good chance that it's inflicted some real damage Mm. on her. Um, I think voters do tend to vote for the person they like the most, the person they like the most becomes the the person they trust the most. Certainly increased her negatives. And I I think that's a serious problem for her. Mm. I mean, the black ministers wanted to speak with her this week, and and, and apparently some Cherokee members were saying they wanted some documentation. You know, she's never going to be able to prove this. So I think people insisting that she – I found her answers to that to be perfectly reasonable, you know, about – my my parents told me, my my grandparents told me, everybody in Oklahoma is related to somebody in a Native American tribe. It was totally believable. Whether it's acceptable is another question. She basically just needs to apologize and walk away. Apologize for what? Apologize for what seems to be a series of misleading answers at the very beginning and that she just didn't seem to know what was – what she had actually told. Well, I think, but I think that's probably true. I think she didn't really know exactly what she had said. But isn't the issue? But isn't the issue that even if you are one thirty second Cherokee, that that by the guidelines in place at these institutions is not enough to check that box anyway. But there's no, there's no indication that she used it uh, to her hiring advantage. And people at Harvard have said it didn't enter into our hiring decision. Now, obviously, we have no way of of knowing whether or not that's true, but. and Personally, by the way, I, I have to yet to know it. an employer that admits that affirmative action considerations played a role in hiring anybody. Right. I mean, so that doesn't well, really and tell And when you, you know much. darn well they do. Of course they do. Yeah. 
I, mean, I worked at the state house, and I never even heard an employer say that. So. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, well, these aren't just employers, though. These are um, independent professors who were active in recruiting her. It's not. Hmm. It's not just the Harvard administration. No, but I believe Charles Freed when he says right. he didn't take that in consideration. Right. He probably didn't even know, but certainly Harvard used it to make themselves look good. There's just no question about that. And she had to have given that, them that information. Well, you'll get no argument from me in attacking Harvard's integrity. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Wendy. <laughs> All right, moving along. The, uh, the um, national, of course, the presidential race uh, is uh, getting hotter and hotter. Mitt Romney outraised President Obama in May. That, that doesn't really surprise me. It really surprised me. And I think that this has been a really bad couple of weeks for, for Barack Obama. I, I really think uh, looking at this race now, it is genuinely conceivable yeah, that it is. Um, Mitt Romney is going to win this thing. Um, and it's just it's not only on the money, but it's on the jobs report. It's on sort of this confusion that's occurring, uh, like with Bill Clinton and, of course, the Wisconsin vote, which yeah. I thought was a major, major Do you think that was a harbinger thing. of doom? I, I, I didn't I see really it I really do, way. and I think it was uh, a Machiavellian ploy that completely backfired on the Democrats. I don't think it was Machiavellian. I think it was just straightforward stupid of the Wisconsin <laughs> say Democrats. Who, I think that, yeah. you know, it's a good rule of thumb never to strategize out of anger. And I think that's what the activists in Wisconsin did. We I, I just, think it was— Just for people who don't know what we're talking about, this was the— Scott Walker recall election, which happened on Tuesday. The Democrats had put up Tom Bartlett, who had also run against um, Scott Walker the first time around. He lost, so he lost both times, both the first time and the recall. And and by a bigger margin, by a bigger margin. And, and that's not what the recall was law was meant to do. Right. I, I mean, I, I agree with Charlie. I think it was a misuse of the of the recall. Brown has uh, Brown, excuse me. Walker has another year or so in office. Um, uh, you know, I, I I think sometimes what happens is that activists get caught up in their own bubble, and and they were completely outraged. And, they just and made they Scott had, Walker's career. <laughs> they just made Scott Walker's <laughs> career. But to to get back to the question of fundraising, I think the the real problem for the Democrats uh, is that the gazillionaire Democrats are not matching the contributions of the gazillionaire Republicans. So that while Obama is outraising Romney in smaller contributions, which is important because smaller contributions translate into votes and they can translate into volunteers as well. The big money Democrats are holding back. They're not putting money into independent expenditure groups. They're putting money into um, getting out the vote operations, into uh, groundwork. George Soros, I think, gave $100 million for that. But they're, they're staying out of the advertising game. And th- that could be a real problem. Well, for don't Democrats. you think a big piece of it is that they have kind of lost their enthusiasm for Barack. I mean, I, I hear I from a too. lot of That's Democrats disappointment. Real and, disappointment. And, and I think a lot of the, the, the people who really watch this stuff and a lot of the big money people are now sort of for the first time saying, OK, what you said, I think that Mitt really has a chance to win this. And I think that that's changing things. But I would also say that it's June and there's a long way and a lot of things are going to happen between June and November. This could be the beginning of a sort of a trend or it can be viewed in retrospect as a high watermark. It's just impossible it's also, to say. It's also interesting to see how the Supreme Court decision on health care plays into this because if they strike yeah, it down, month, right? yeah. is that – going to play against Barack Obama or... It's, it's hard to know and it partly depends on uh, whether the court strikes it down in whole or in part, how the Republican Congress reacts to that because there are a lot of popular things in the law and mm. Republicans are having their own problem right now in in having to uh, possibly backtrack on their, on their promise to get rid of Obamacare completely because now they're saying, well, we want people to be able to take their, keep their kids on their policies and we want people with pre-existing conditions to be able to get insurance. Right. And of course, the problem is, as a lot of people recognize, that, that, that those provisions don't work unless everybody is buying health insurance. But there was um, a story in the New York Times today, which should be a huge worry to Democrats, which talked about majority opposition to the health care law. Uh, in terms of the electorate. Yeah, in terms mm. of the electorate, it's, it's it is quite, really it's unpopular. Yeah. It's yeah. really un- The mandate is extremely unpopular. What about this whole thing that Clinton, um, the dust-up, you know, he was apologizing all over the CNN, talking to Wolf Blitzer this morning, but he was talking about the Bush tax cuts, and he was saying he would like to see those extended. Well, it, I mean, it, it, and, and then he was apologizing left and right. I mean, as if it was hurting Barack Obama some and way. It reminds you of what happened with Cory Booker in New Jersey oh, yeah, as yeah, well, yeah. where it, apparently if you're a Democrat and you say something that doesn't follow the party line, I understand that. you get browbeaten. But mm-hmm. Clinton's remarks were 
greatly exaggerated. He wasn't talking about any kind of long-term extension of the tax cuts. He was talking, I think, in pragmatic political terms about the fact that there's an election coming up. Maybe you're not going to be able exactly. to get much done. He doesn't have a problem if you just extend it for a few months and let the new Congress deal but, with it. I think that's what he said. But I can never figure out – I mean, has, has Clinton – lost this, what has been a magical political touch over the last 15 years, or is this all very planned, you know, both in terms of the way he behaved in 2008 during his wife's campaign and now things like this? Well, he's out there more than ever. I mean, during his wife's campaign, he was... he wasn't that outspoken. He wasn't. But he, he seems to have gotten a... tone deaf, and he has been anything but tone deaf. I, I don't think he's tone deaf. I think that he's not in his own campaign mode. That's true. That's a good point. Um, And he's having a conversation. Look, we all know we're on the radio. We all know that sometimes things just fall out of your mouth. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. That is true. That's true. And then they're taken out of context, and you sound like an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's more like that. And and, and as you said, what he said wasn't really that bad. What what Cory Booker said wasn't that bad. Well, at all. Cory Booker was talking about Bain. Right. But that's what I find amazing is the way that the Democrats can't seem to tolerate the slightest deviation. Well, but, but I don't Tom, think it's not like the Republicans don't do it either. Yeah, but, no. but part of the problem is is that uh, the media takes a phrase out of context. Um, I, I think a good example was Clinton's remark about Mitt Romney having a sterling business career, and that was the only soundbite that we heard. But then Clinton went on to say that that doesn't, you know, that he, I, I think he then went on to talk about the fact that, that Romney was creating wealth and not creating jobs, and he qualified it in the same way that Obama is qualifying it. And I think that the, the reason that Democrats react to that is because of what the media puts out there. Yeah. Hmm. So what is going to happen with the Bush tax cuts? <laughs> well, it doesn't matter until the beginning, until January, right. because yeah. that's when they expire. So literally nothing has to be done until after the uh-huh. election. You know, the big issue that's out there that a lot of economists are looking at is you have this sort of double whammy going on with the tax, with the the tax cuts going the, away. The $1.2 trillion. And, yeah, right, and at the same time, you have uh, spending being forced to um, uh, decrease. And so it really, you basically have this giant economic drag on the economy. And even a lot of liberal economists are saying you're going to have to think about extending the tax cuts for a period of time after that, at least not to be hammering the economy. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly right now, it doesn't look like we're robust, Well, I, I had Bob posted on uh, earlier in the week, The Economist, and he was saying that, that definitely Greece is going to be pushed out of the European Union and the you know, banks are going to come in and rescue Spain and things should be resolved. He really believes by – he said the end of the year, but maybe even before that. So he didn't see that this was this yo-yo effect was going to continue. I hope he's right. I hope he's yeah, right. I hope yeah. he's right. It's it's impossible to predict what's going to happen with the tax cuts until we know what happens with the election. That's right. That's exactly right. All right. That's I'm right. talking to Tom Keene, former Boston City Councilor, Charles Chipio from Chipio Strategies, and Wendy Kaminer, social critic and attorney. When we continue, we're going to respond to some of your emails, tweets, and Facebook messages as we do every Friday. And we'll continue our roundup of this week's top news headlines. You're listening to The Emily Rooney Show from 89.7 WGBH, Boston Public Radio. love our contributors. That means you and Earth, Wind, and Fire performing with a full string orchestra coming to the Wang Theater at the City Performing Arts Center on Tuesday, June 12th. You can find tickets and information at citycenter.org. And Basic Black, provocative commentary by local voices, provides a fresh examination of the black experience. Your world, our world, unscripted. Watch Basic Black Friday night at 7.30 on WGBH2. Job growth is slower, but some entrepreneurs are still hiring. This year we hired two more technicians, and we hope to hire one more. Still, with economic turmoil in Europe and Congress facing a fiscal cliff, there's plenty to be concerned about. We as a small business have been very careful as to how we spend our money. 
Hiring with caution today on All Things Considered from NPR News. This afternoon at 4 here on 89.7 WGBH. The WGBH Spring Auction has gone into extra innings. Bid high on a trip for two to the Windy City, the Aegean Sea, the Caribbean, or to any other JetBlue destination. You might even find yourself with tickets to see the New England Patriots take on the Miami Dolphins. Be a hometown hero. Support public broadcasting and secure a great deal all at the same time. It's easy to do at auction.wgbh.org. Great question. That is a great question. And that's a great question. It's a great question. What a great question. On Fresh Air, you'll hear unexpected questions and unexpected answers. This afternoon at 2, here on 89.7 WGBH. You're listening to The Emily Rooney Show. It's time to rummage through our email bag as we do every Friday. On Wednesday, we had a conversation about panhandling and whether there was a downside to slipping some change to a panhandler. That prompted Michael to email us. Emily, I was homeless at 16. I was able to get three jobs and stayed in school. Having a roof over your head is not as important as having a clear mind and polite mannerisms. I donate to charities but will never give money on the street. I will give my lunch before I give money to a homeless person. Great topic. Yesterday, I spoke with Boston City Councilor Mike Ross about the longstanding issue of whether the city is over-officious in banning things like caps on liquor licenses to the tea shutting down early. Anything fun, I should say. Annie tweeted a response. With Boston's population being one-third college kids, could more regulation and fewer liquor licenses be a good thing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Finally, on Wednesday, I interviewed Suffolk Downs executive Chip Tuttle about their long-anticipated proposal for a casino in East Boston, Dana, posted this on Facebook. What's up with the free public relations given to the proposed gambling complex at Suffolk Downs? Would it not be fitting for, quote, public radio to also feature a voice opposed to the site or one that addresses the host of potential problems that gambling brings to a community? Please replace pandering with hard-hitting, critical journalism. Aye, aye, Dana. Get right on that. Well, Dana, any regular listener to our program would know that this show has devoted hours and weeks to the pros and cons of casino gambling. You or anyone else can find those segments on our website at wgbh.org slash Emily Rooney. While you're there, tell us what you think or just email us at emily at wgbh.org. Continuing, we're going to actually start talking about casinos. I'm joined here in the studio by social critic and attorney Wendy Kaminer, Charlie Chipio of Chipio Strategies, and former Boston City Councilor and columnist for the Boston Globe's op-ed page, Tom Keane. It's a pleasure. What did you think of the rollout, the Caesars slash Suffolk Downs rollout this week? I, I think you're it a Boston good. guy. Do you oh, want to yeah. have a vote, by the way, on no, this? No, I'm not going to have a vote on it. I, I, you know, I think this whole issue about the vote, does East Boston vote on it or does Boston as a whole vote on it, is entirely not a matter of principle, entirely a matter of what outcome you want. Mm. If, if you want the casino <laughs> exactly. to be approved, then only East Boston. If you want a chance of having it turned down, then have all of Boston vote on it. But it is actually silly to have all of Boston vote on it. Hyde Park for example, as part of Boston, would be voting on this thing. It's 13 miles away from East Boston. Yeah. Hyde Park votes on it. Marblehead should vote on it. Marblehead's right. only 12 miles away. You have Belmont, which is 11 miles away. You know, I, it's, this is not a matter of principle. No, it's but matter it's the of city, just what results you There's going to be a lot of issues involved with it. Should the city be paying for extra police detail? Should the city? So it's going to affect everybody. And, and what in effect the city. will it have on city businesses? Yeah. And, uh, it, but, it, it, but what effect will it have on Revere businesses? Revere right. should be voting right. on it. Well, they are voting. Revere no, is going to vote. No, I mean, it, no, it's yeah, only East Boston, East, East Boston, East Boston and, and Revere. Revere. Yeah. All right, Chelsea then. Chelsea doesn't get a vote. <laughs> Never <laughs> don't does. Get a vote. That's the way Chelsea always is. <laughs> but there. you know, I. Well, I live in Boston and I want to vote. Well, I want to vote too. I think, no. I think these, because I, I, I am sort of on the opposite side in the sense that I think these casinos are crazy. But from a policy point of view, I do think only East Boston should well, be I want to vote just to it. make sure it doesn't come to the back bay. <laughs> I don't think you have to worry about that. I, I think that this uh, this is going to happen in East Boston. It, it's a nice enough plan, um, 
But I, I think of all of the proposals that are out there, I'd much rather have a casino in a city, quite frankly, than way out you know, in farm country where people are driving to it. It makes it much more sense to have people take a tea or take a bus and you know, be able to get home easily from, from a casino in a city. If, if there's adequate public transportation right. for yeah. it. By the way, and just there's certainly a better public transit at Suffolk Downs than there is in Taunton. Just to take a little umbrage with what Dana emailed us, I, I, I did uh, – I was – I wasn't all that easy on Chip Tuttle. I mean, I I'm, I'm, was skeptical about the jobs uh, projections and also, you know, the fact that Caesars is $22 billion in debt. Is this really, you know, the outfit that we want to be getting into a deal with? But uh, here's what uh, Chip Tuttle told me the other day about job creation. We believe that we have to set the standard for gaming in Massachusetts. That's a big responsibility, but it's one we take on with gusto. And so what we're trying to do here is create a facility that will entertain millions of people, attract visitors not only locally but from out of town, and employ uh, new generations of of local families. We're talking about up to 4,000 jobs on the property if we are successful earning a license and able to build the project. That whole numbers game about the number of jobs doesn't add up because part of their rollout said 2,500. And then when Adam Riley questioned Chip Tuttle or I think maybe this other guy Field about the, the number in the, in the rollout said 4,000. He said, oh, yeah, that was a guy, that was a man on the street. And we liked what he said, so we just used it in the promotion. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> what? Uh, some guy boy. over in East Boston. I, I have to tell like, you, a lot of those projections, and, and it's not only and the for revenue casinos, too. but it's for, it's for anything, it's convention for anything. centers right. or whatever. They yeah. are out of whole cloth. You, yep. can, you, can figure, you can predict anything you want. Um, I happen to be a big skeptic about the casinos as well. I, I, you know, there's a limited number of stupid people out there. They're already exactly. going to Foxwoods, and uh, we are not. <laughs> Tom going... Keen said that, not me. I just well, want you I'm all just to know. telling you, don't go to Foxwoods. Don't waste your money gambling. I mean, it's it's a fool's unless game. unless you unless, enjoy it, unless you enjoy it, and you can But you know it. what? The fact right. of the matter is that even if even if people are going to do it anyway, the the amount of places to do it now with the mushrooming exactly. of all this stuff are more than the right. number of people who want to do it. That's and what exactly what gonna... um, Sheldon Adelson said. Yes. He's the big casino backer. He said he no longer th- it's, it's just not viable. They're not Massachusetts can't sustain three casinos, and my bet is they're not going to have three. Taunton's going to pass this thing over the weekend for the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe. You know, they'll have a casino. This East Boston thing will likely go through. And then I think any other would be foolish. I, I, I think of I it as a zero-sum right. game at this point. Yeah. You know, and well, I've already predicted it's going to be an utter bust, an absolute, total, and utter bust. That I the casino that. people will make money, but we, the, Massachusetts will not see anything. Any, just, a, just, a, just a minor, minor drop in the bucket in terms right. of revenue. Upfront license fees, and it's basically going to be I can see $200,000 million yeah. a year of revenue. Right. And nor are we going to see that many jobs. No, well, exactly. And it's not as jobs if the de- are they? It's not as if the developers are doing this out of the goodness of their hearts because they want to create jobs. And the fact is that any development will create jobs. You know, this is being marketed as if this is the only way we can get jobs is to build casinos. Mm-hmm. You know, we could do right. a lot of other things that would also provide people with jobs. Any we business could fix development, our infrastructure. absolutely. Any business development is going to create jobs. I have to say, right. and probably better jobs. And better jobs, and is also yeah. not going to bleed the peop- the customers. The I, I like I like the looks do. of this thing. They weren't trying to do a traditional casino. It's quite modern. It's open. It's airy. It's breezy. It, in fact, somebody was remarking, you could almost forget that there's there's gambling inside. It looks like a, a big shopping mall with windows and you know all the restaurants. That's what they were focusing on. When you looked at the videos, it was all about the clubs and the restaurants and the entertainment. And actually, there, you didn't see where's right. the sign I, to you know drop your money here. Right. I, I agree. It, it, Elkis Manfredi, I think, is the architecture firm that designed it, and they're they're a great firm. It looked to me like it was. It's not going to be a blight. By any means, yeah, exactly. in terms of right. of its physicality, but as a as a recreating the Commonwealth Avenue way. Mall, yeah. is that what the guy said? And the entrance, <laughs> urban we're, recreate, oasis, right? Right. we're recreating the Commonwealth Avenue Mall. That's exactly what I was thinking it looked like, huh? You know, yeah, right. <laughs> but they called it an urban oasis, right? I know. I, I, wasn't that the logo for Store Twenty Four at one point? But yeah, the City Oasis. The, the City, City oasis. oasis. That's right. All right, on to my favorite story. The N-Star blackout <laughs> and explanation. You know how I feel about it. We'll this. just stand just back, Emily. Go ahead. outrageous, <laughs> ridiculous, explanation. Well, we don't know what happened. And this bogus number that they keep putting out about how many people were affected, they keep saying 
21,000. That is so wrong. I would say when the second time that Black Hat happened uh, in in early May, I was down. There was 21,000 people standing on the street. Forget the fact that just all glued to their cell phones wondering what's going on. You know, they're, they're counting... As I say, Neiman Marcus is one customer. That was probably, you know, that's a, a lot of customers people. inside. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. You know, no, between the, 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 is the one employee, yeah. Right. exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, and to be the, few people the fact inside, that they can't but... figure out and and that they aren't responsible for reimbursing anybody for a single it's thing—it's outrageous. outrageous. It's outrageous. Yeah, I right. mean. But so, what do you think? How do we make them accountable? I mean, it, I mean, it it really does. Have, it's it's like an act of God at this point. They're claiming they have no idea. How humans were involved in it, or even technology. So I don't know, but it's pretty scary. It's some miracle. I mean, there's it's some something went seriously wrong and with they their don't know infrastructure. What it is. Right. But right. then they shouldn't have issued the report until they could figure out what it was. Either that or they do know what it was and they don't want to tell us. Well, it was an independent party. And, right? and, 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 and by the way, they didn't even mention the second one. It was like, oh, that happened. That was three or four hours, you know, six weeks later. It went on and off, yeah. on and off, but right. it was the exact same footprint. I was downtown and I actually walked the perimeter. It was the exact same footprint. And they were acting like that was a separate, completely separate incident. It wasn't. It was totally related. It was the exact same customers. It's incredibly frustrating. <laughs> Nobody else needs because... to talk. I've got this one. <laughs> well, it, 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 people are so helpless. They yeah. have no recourse. They are at the mercy yep. of these industries that operate incredibly irresponsibly that have no accountability and there's just you know we're all in a position of learned helplessness about it and while we're on the subject of NSTAR can I put in a bad word about Verizon sure <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> because where I live in Boston we have had no landline service from Horizon for almost a week why really I don't know what do you mean no landline? We well, have no landline, landline service. Well, th- that's why no, it's no, not no, that no. big no, a problem. So if you go and pick up your no. phone in your house, it's does just it, dead? it Yes. It, and is it is it, it's more than just your neighborhood? Yes. Your house? Uh, well, oh yes, it's more than just our house. It's oh. uh, I don't know exactly. No, that's old, old. How come technology. no one's written about it? I haven't seen I don't know. Are they Emily? telling you anything? No. No, uh, what do you mean? Why don't you call what someone? Oh, yeah, you can't. Oh, <laughs> well, it, Edgar, uh, make a call on that. A couple of people have reportedly made phone calls and gotten information about when it was going to be fixed. First it was Monday at 6 p.m. and then it was Wednesday. And then I think the phones might have been back for a few minutes and then they were gone yesterday. I'm not sure where they are now. And it's because we all have cell phones and because we all have internet access. They feel no urgency. That, exactly. There's there's not the same sense of urgency. Well, I can't use my cell phone in my condo. It doesn't work. Can I put a bad word in about AT&T? Please. (laughs) You can't. Yeah, you can't even use it. Can you use your cell phone? I can, but I'm on Verizon and it really does depend. Um, yeah, I can't. Mine are. doesn't work at all. I mean, I like having a landline because I'm I, I can't always use my cell phone as effectively. Yeah, that's a good story. We got to get on that. Call, call the Boston Globe. All right, moving on. Um, I probably shouldn't admit this, but I felt a little bad for that Haverhill teenager who was convicted in the uh, texting and driving. It, it's always I, tough when someone why. wants to make an example. That was you. the reason. Because yeah. it was, and, and the judge as much as said so. Well, it's not I, that he, he didn't so. cause yeah. the accident. I, I, he was negligent. Don't, 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 it's just that I, I said we don't. I don't think we really needed an, a separate law that you know covers this. And say, I mean, if you're driving negligently, you're driving negligent. You don't need to have. So this whole texting thing. This kid is, you know. Sh- Burdening this thing that he was texting. Yes, he he probably was, but he he was driving negligently, which was the bigger point. I agree that we don't necessarily need a texting while driving law. I think that this was a negligent homicide. I I would have given him a longer sentence. Really, he killed somebody. I know he killed somebody. We are all at much more risk from texting teenagers than we are from terrorists. You know, well, oh, it's, completely. It, yeah. it's true. Yeah. Now, I agree with you that judges should not sentence people in order to set examples. I think uh, that's why I objected to the sentencing of Sal DeMacy. Yeah, I think you should be sentenced for what you did. And what this kid did was kill somebody through his own negligence. I understand that, you know, teenagers have certain developmental handicaps. I don't think he had to go to prison for 10 years. But I would have given him a, a longer sentence. Mm. I would have sentenced him to the two and a half years. No, so if and it was drunk and driving, I think it would be something different. But when you see that, you know, this thing in the Globe today, 42% of teenagers are yeah. doing this. I, you know, I do think that that message has got to be It's got to be yeah, an education I, I'd campaign. Be, I'd be wary about that number. I think a lot of that is people who are stopped and do it. They're behind the wheel. But it's also illegal to do when you're at a red light. You know, how many are actually doing it while they're driving? I don't think it's anywhere near as high as that. No, but well, I, I hope it just you're feels right. like there's... 
you could but obviously there's add a few. so many other things to to a law beyond texting, you know, drinking super hot coffee or, as I always say, putting on a mascara while you're just like, or doing a crossword, which – Or just changing the radio yeah. station. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which I, mean, I hope no one's doing right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, making it against the law to Screaming do one at particular your kids. thing seems – I mean, first of all, it's so obvious – you know. Well, it's obvious, but an awful lot of people are doing it. I mean, I, you know, I periodically see somebody on the phone just sail through a red light. Mm-hmm. I find it all quite terrifying. Yeah, yeah I, I, I've seen that all the time. I also see it with people who are walking along. And yeah, and, and especially now in Boston, the there are a lot of cyclists around. You know, I was in a traffic jam yesterday, and and this cyclist was driving in the middle of the road, in you know, in the middle of all of these cars. Oh, that was me. You can do that. <laughs> Very possibly. Can't you do that? Well, it's yeah. it's but it's it's dangerous. And if if you had you know you you have to see so much when you're driving is my point. Well, the bicycle you can you're a biker, Tommy. You can argue this, but a lot of bikers like to be right in the traffic because you really can see them, as opposed to off to the side one Correct. way or another where you can get Correct. clipped. Yeah, the whole the whole goal of being a bicyclist in an urban setting is to get in front of the yeah. car so that they actually see you. Yeah. But I do it all the time. In a traffic time. jam, it's hard, though. Uh, I'll tell you, the tough thing is, you know, you're on the right, right-hand lane and someone's taking a right turn and they ignore you. And, and sometimes they've passed you and know you're there and still try to cut in front of you. <laughs> all right, raise so. your hand if you thought Howie Winter was already... Dead. dead. I, I did. And <laughs> I mean, by the I way, what's the arrested? deal that Winter Hill was named after him? I didn't realize that. Oh, I didn't even oh, know that. The Winter no. Hill game? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah no. Right. I mean, honestly, he, I guess he's not that old, but. 83. Well, it's not that old. I mean, well, I, you know, I, I guess the older we get, the younger it looks. Yeah. You got that right. I, I do have a hard time understanding someone at 83 out there extorting people. Well, if it's true, we can say that he did not age out. No, he did not. He's going to go all the way. Yeah, but wasn't everybody Even shocked Whitey when retired. his name yeah. came up? It was like, Howie Winter. That that goes back to the 60s. Yeah, I yeah. know. You know. I mean, he's, he's the, he basically is the godfather of, of Whitey, right? Well, maybe, I mean, he he's, was, he maybe he's a man him. who loves his work. Yeah. Well, didn't – well, let's see. Um, he preceded Whitey. Right. Um, yes. As, and, as the head of the Winter Hill Gang. Yeah, but he wasn't – you know, they they went after La Casa Nostra, so I think the Winter Hill Gang was sort of left alone, as I recall. Well, did I can't remember if how he went to win to jail. Yeah. J- joking notwithstanding, um, yeah, I'm glad they got him, and if you he's know, and they need to be going after someone like this if he's guilty. Thank you very much. Really? I'm glad they got the alleged guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, how would we feel about Kurt Chilling filing for bankruptcy? Uh, I feel sorry for Kurt. He lost a lot of money. A lot of money. Do you feel sorry for him? I do, too. I do. Oh, you lost an awful lot. And, I, you know, you got to admire anybody who's willing to take a risk on a business. Having I said agree. that, Kurt Schilling had a lot of warning signs out there, including the fact that the entire venture capital community turned down his business proposal. And, you know, that should send you a signal that yeah. maybe your idea needs some work. He, he also money. lost a lot of money for a lot of other people. There are a lot of vendors yeah. who are going to be unpaid. Oh, yeah. There are yeah. a lot of employees lot who of are employees. going to be unpaid. There are a lot of taxpayers in Rhode Island who are losing money on this. He's supposed to believe in personal responsibility. He took a risk. He may not have known what he's doing, and he can suffer the consequences. Well, I don't feel sorry for him. I feel sorry for the people who are losing money with him who are not as responsible. I completely agree, but I want to make a bigger point here, which is that uh, just a couple of weeks ago, very quietly, this state commission came out with this report and granted, granted Massachusetts didn't fall for this, but uh, came out with this report that said the amount of tax breaks and tax incentives that we offer every year is greater than the amount of taxes that we bring in every year. When are we going to stop with the film tax credits and all this craziness that, that if we did, it would solve our, our fiscal problems here? Yeah, and it and it wouldn't hurt the businesses at I all. Agree. Right. Was, was this just a study for Massachusetts, Troy? Just yeah, it's something called the Tax Expenditure Commission. It's a commission they put together in the wake of the uh, Evergreen Solar thing, and they just did their report, which I wrote a column yeah, but about. Also. Charlie, you know, okay. well. they don't just do it for you know tax purposes. It's 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 part you know it's the it's they do it for tourism. They can say, oh, you know, filmed in Massachusetts. There's all these reasons. It, why there's all these it. reasons, but if you look at it. You know, if you look at it empirically, none of them are valid. Right. It's a little like saying you're building casinos to create jobs. Right. I mean, you you just have to look at the numbers. And, uh, you know, are we getting more back in business and tourism than what we're spending in taxes? And I wouldn't say that we never are, but I would say that the instances in which we are are extremely rare. Well, do you give Massachusetts any credit for not going into the 
Kerchilling business. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. That was a good move. Yeah, mm. but unfortunately, we've done other stuff. See, I don't think Kurt Schilling would be filing for bankruptcy today if he hadn't gotten into that really nasty public uh, dispute with Lincoln Chafee. I mean, he, he might have been able to work this out some way or other, but th- there was no chance. Well, Chafee, when Chafee ran for office, he was making clear he hated this deal. Yeah, and I think entire, he was right to hate this and, deal. And, and, absolutely, and it never should have been done. It was yeah. done by the prior governor. And uh, this was a great – what he should have known, what Schilling should have known is that you can't go back to the state at this point. It's too much – it's too political. There's no way that the state could have actually come up with more money for him. Well, and the private sector was not funding this. That yes. was his problem. I mean you said so yourself, Tom. Yeah. He had warning signs. Venture Completely. capitalists did not want to get into this. No. And they all told him, you know, get, get a new well. manager in there. <laughs> all right. Up next, would Wendy Kaminer drink champagne that spent 200 years – at the bottom of the sea is Tom Keen fired up about the return of Dallas to television. Is Charlie Chipio itching to dig into Taco Bell's new gourmet menu? We'll find out during our ever-popular Thumbs Up, Thumbs Down segment. You're listening to The Emily Rooney Show from 89.7 WGBH, Boston Public Radio. Funding for our programs comes from you and Grogan and Company Fine Art Auctioneers, assisting New England families with the sale of their fine art, antiques, silver, and jewelry since 1988. Located in historic Dedham, Massachusetts, and at groganco.com. And Harvard Extension School for enrichment or professional development, offering courses in Arabic and Italian. Information session Wednesday, June 13th. You can learn more online at extension.harvard.edu. And the members of the WGBH Sustainer Program, whose gifts of $5, 10 or $20 a month make up the most reliable income for the programs you love on 89.7. Learn more about sustaining membership at WGBH.org. I'm Callie Crossley. On the next Callie Crossley Show, it's our weekend Review. We look at the local news that went under the radar. We top off the hour with Ragtime, a roundup of the week's pop culture. That's today at 1 on 89.7 WGBH, Boston Public Radio. Staying informed. The issue now is whether states must also follow the Second Amendment. Asking questions. What has actually gone on at the White House today? Trying new things. Try this. Star Wars in concert. It all matters. Makes a difference. An impact. On me. My family, my friends. My neighbors. The whole community. So, I chip in. I'm happy to give. I support WGBH. And you know that. That makes me responsible. That makes me responsible. That makes me responsible for radio that really matters. Grandpa, he threw the first ball out at Fenway Park. The very first First ball out. Ever. Ever. 100 years of legend and history of Fenway Park. Fridays on WGBH's Morning Edition. You're listening to the Emily Rooney Show. It is time for our ever-popular Thumbs Up, Thumbs Down segment on the people, places, and issues in the news this week. I'm joined here in the studio by Tom Keene, former Boston City Councilor and columnist for the Boston Globe's op-ed pages, social critic and attorney Wendy Kaminer, and Charlie Chipio of Chipio Strategies. That, of course, is the theme song from Dallas. And going right to you, Tom. Thumbs up, thumbs down. You will watch the, new, the return of Dallas, including Patrick Duffy and Larry Hagman. Thumbs down. I won't be watching. Never watch the first one. (laughs) Don't plan on watching this one. I don't plan on watching, but I'll give it a thumbs up because I think anything is better than more reality TV. (laughs) Thumbs down. I wonder if Big Poppy's going to wheel them out the way they did at the uh, 100th anniversary. (laughs) Larry Hagman. I'm going to give it a thumbs up. I've got to watch an episode or so. Could we maybe do a uh, a redo of I Dream of Jeannie? I like that a lot better with Larry Hagman. 
That's right. Yeah. I'm not sure you Showing want to see age. Barbara Eden in her outfit. Yeah, that's right. That might not work. All right. Thumbs up. Thumbs down, Charlie. You're going to run right over to Taco Bell and get something off their gourmet menu. Well, I have to say I have honestly never been to Taco Bell in my life, so I don't think I'm going to start now. <laughs> I did see that, but I guess I'm a thumbs down. Yeah. I mean, this is a joke. This is, oh, this no. Is thumbs up. I love Taco Bell. You do? I love Taco Bell. Really? In fact, I already thought it was gourmet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been to Taco Bell, so I'm staying out of this. <laughs> I love fast food Mexican stuff, though, but I've never been to a Taco Bell either. Mm. No, there's something about it. It's just mm. Mm. It's delicious. Is it? How are their refried beans? Excellent. That's, that's, that's the part that I like the best. It's lots of cheese and everything's squished in together. And I really thought that was gourmet food. I don't know why they even have to come up with it. All right. Thumbs up, thumbs down, Wendy. I'm handing you a glass of champagne. Here's the... Uh, the wrinkle, though, it's from a 200-year-old shipwreck. Would you drink it? Are you going to drink it first? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I, I would try it, sure. Well, what are you worried about the salt water? I mean, what are you worried about? If you drink it first, I'll drink it with you. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, thumbs up for I me. I didn't poison it. I'll try it. <laughs> of course. I mean, it may be flat, but it, thumbs yeah, would up. It be, you it, try would, it. would it be flat from the pressure? I mean, I, I would think yes. I have no idea. Come on. Who's the scientist here? Charlie, you are. My 11-year-old. Would it be flat? As long as, I, I, as, long as the bottle's intact. Who knows the answer to that? No, it shouldn't be flat. Would it I might have flat? the bends since it's been down there. <laughs> My guess is it would be flat, but, you know. Of course, it might depend on whether it was good champagne when it started. And not all champagne is going to be good after 200 years. No, I wouldn't think. All right, so moving on to our, I mean, every week we have a, a banning segment, and uh, there's no short of the things that are being proposed to be banned this week as well. Thumbs up, thumbs down on banning foie gras in California. Thumbs down. I love foie gras. Really so do, do love foie gras. <laughs> and I, it's all I've about actually, how they, they force I've feed the I've actually made it myself. I like... cook it. I mean, I, I love searing foie gras and putting it over a little salad. So thumbs down on California. Yeah, I, I give it a thumbs down, too. I, I, I understand the concern about the uh, inhumanity of it all. But, you know, it's an eat or be eaten world. Well, Tom is an amazing cook, so I follow is his he? lead on these issues. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've never been invited to Tom's house. But <laughs> well, you play your cards right, Emily. <laughs> I, I agree. I mean, I just, you know, I think, it, once again, you can go around educating people and you can show the pictures of how they, they force feed these poor creatures, but you can't ban it. Well, and, and more than that, there's, you don't have, you could have foie gras that wasn't necessarily through the gravage process, which is well, and, forcing you know, it down. There, there's a larger question, too, is that we have a real problem now with, with people hating government categorically. And these petty bans yeah. really fuel that sense, and it makes it hard for government to do the things that we really needed to do, like infrastructure and public schools. And yeah, you yeah. Know, I think it's right. Well, here's I some important things. I want my foie gras in a twenty ounce soda. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of banning, and this is not the government. I was talking to Mike Ross the other day. He said more and more frequently, you buy a condo, move in, and you discover that there is a smoking ban. Smoking bans on your own property imposed by others. Wendy? Oh, thumbs down. Thumbs down. I think people have gotten hysterical on the subject of secondhand smoke. I think it's just crazy. If they cross the street, they're probably doing more damage to themselves than having somebody three floors above them smoke a cigarette. I agree. I think, I think Wendy's right on on that. Couldn't so, have said it better myself. So it's your so own I'm, property. I'm, I'm going so to be a little bit disagreeable here. Because there are a lot of condos where the ventilation system is such as that's common ventilation. And if that's the case, someone smoking in one room, you're going to absolutely be aware of it and completely exposed to it in your unit. And you may just not want the smell. It stinks yes, everything up and all that. It's not the secondhand smoke. Okay, it's not that it's poisoning well. you, but you don't want the smell of it. Hmm. Um, now, maybe the alternative is to say, well, these condos need to figure out how to revise their HVAC systems so it doesn't go <laughs> right. into another unit. But right now, in the building I live in, actually just imposed a secondhand smoke ban. I didn't really? vote for it, but it just imposed it. Um, and now, how it's would that a work? Very, well, th what they do is they say prospectively, uh, no one moving in can oh, be see. a smoker. Yeah. It does grandfather in existing smokers. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I mean – I, I don't. I, I wouldn't want to have smokers in my building, but I have to say I don't, I'm not in favor of banning anything on, you know, on your own property. Well, I'm not either, and and there are so many smoking bans now that it's a kind of de facto prohibition, which right. I completely oppose. I got a couple of bans I got to get to. Walt Disney Company banning junk food ads from its programming. 
Well, I, I, it's got to ban its own programming. I have no problem with Walt Disney doing this. It's trying to take a responsible position, yeah. and it's not the government. It's Walt Disney right. saying this is right. what you know. we exactly. know we're communicating to kids. There's a certain kind of message we want to give. That's a good thing. I, I agree with Tom's. I give that a thumbs up. Yep. If they choose to do it, perfectly fine. Thumbs down. Their, their own programming is junk. <laughs> no, seriously, how can they how can they categorize one thing as junk when their stuff is junk? No, <laughs> you don't have an eight year old in your house. No, I don't. All right, uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. Offering painting classes at Guantanamo Bay Prison. This is for real. They're upgrading the conditions for prisoners there and adding, among other things, painting classes. So. I guess I'm thumbs up on it, but I have to say I didn't think this was the biggest problem. Like, is the painting plus waterboarding still in play? Uh, I, I don't know. We get waterboarding, waterboarding then we day. get to paint. Maybe you get to mix it? with the waterboard. You know, you use watercolors, right. and it's you all. Know, a it yeah. doesn't bother me that we sort of try to treat prisoners humanely and maybe let them paint or do read or whatever. But um, I think the issues at Guantanamo are greater than painting. Yeah. I mean, we have people who've been in Guantanamo for 10 years yes. now without trial. And to be talking about painting classes, let's talk about fair trials. Right. Did anybody else used to watch Bob Ross on PBS, the guy who did the painting classes? Oh, sure, sure. He's so relaxing. Yeah. I'm addicted to that guy. They need Bob Ross down there. <laughs> yeah, get Bob Ross down there. All right. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Massachusetts residents should pay sales tax on Amazon, Charlie. You know, my conservative friends are going to kill me on this, but I, I think they ought to because I think that this is killing bricks and mortar businesses. Yeah, yeah. I agree with Charlie. Yeah. I agree. Well, except that that's not what's going on here. We're not saying all. Well, don't worry about the. Facts. We're not saying all <laughs> online businesses are paying sales tax. We're saying Amazon because yeah. Amazon now has a physical location in the state. So it just means that when I go to buy that big screen TV, I'm just going to have to go to someone other than Amazon and not pay property taxes. I think I agree with you on the principle of this, which is yeah. that in general, we should treat online retailers the same as we treat brick and mortar. All right. And finally, thumbs up, thumbs down. I even hate to do this one. On the Celtics, Saturday night. Uh, thumbs up that they'll make a great effort. I'm not going to predict <laughs> the result. I have no idea. Dan think, Shaughnessy tells me no way. Don't I, listen to Dan Shaughnessy. I had, him, I had him on my thumbs up, thumbs down too, by the way. Dan, you're so negative. He is. Negative, I think, dude. I think last night could have been the, the sort of turning point for LeBron James. Because he did so well. He was amazing last night. Yeah. I'm going to go thumbs up. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Be hopeful, Emily. All right. We got, oh, we got time for one more. Uh, Wendy, are you thumbs up, thumbs down? You're one of the 44% of Americans who approves of the Supreme Court, meaning less than 50 percent of, of Americans approve of the Supreme Court. I'm uh, a member of the majority for, for once that disapproves of the Supreme Court. I think it has become uh, almost overtly partisan. Yes. Um, I, I think that uh, life terms for these judges is a really bad mistake. Mm -hmm. It's not 200 years ago. They live a lot longer than they used to. It gives too much power to the individual I judges and too much power arbitrarily what, to the president who gets to a point. What them. makes me add part of the majority is seeing the oral arguments on the health care case when you had four people who clearly by their questions were on one side at the yep. beginning and four others who were clearly on the other side. Tom, what, what I, what are you I a found, good American? Uh, uh, yeah, and what I found fascinating was the history on this. So if you go back even 20 years, 70% thought that they used judgeship on the basis of law. Now it's only 44%. Yeah. That's right. a sad commentary. Tom Keene, Wendy Kaminer, Charlie Chippeo. Thank you. We'll be back Monday at noon. Aerosmith bassist Tom Hamilton. He's going to check in before he heads out on tour with Steven Tyler and the rest of the gang. And stay with us now for the Cali Crossley Show coming up next. And tonight on my television show, Beat the Press, it's a tug of war over debates and not just between the candidates. That's tonight at 7 on Channel 2. The Emily Rooney Show is a production of WGBH Radio. On the web at WGBH.org, Boston Public Radio. I'm Emily Rooney. Have a great afternoon. <laughs>